Good morning. What uh, I'd like to do is, as we open our hearts and our minds to the Lord, as we open his word and ask for him to speak to us, to align us to himself and his purposes for our lives, I want us to pray this prayer together. Let's, let's try this out loud. Almighty and ever-living God, whose will it is that all should come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, Inspire our witness to him that all may know the power of his forgiveness and the hope of his resurrection, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right, please be seated. I love that prayer, a prayer for mission from the Book of Common Prayer, a part of our Anglican heritage and identity, and I think really helpful as we begin to open and hear and respond to what the Lord's saying through his servant Paul in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Last week, we looked at how to find joy in imitating Jesus by humbling ourselves in obedience to God. And this week, we see what happens when we do. Paul continues in verses 14, 15, and 16, and he sets up the result of imitating Jesus. And the result of imitating Jesus is the joy of being a positive witness for Jesus. That's what we're looking at this morning. If you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, in the blue Bible in your chair, that's on page 981, Paul says, do everything... Not some things, not a few things. Do everything without, I know that's a really important word there. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. In these two sentences, Paul describes what happens to those around us when we humble ourselves and imitate Jesus by obeying God and doing everything without grumbling or arguing. When we imitate Jesus by humbling ourselves in obedience to God, we not only experience joy, but we become positive examples. The light of Christ shines in us and through us to help others see and understand what it looks like to be in a relationship with the light of the world, with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Paul says part of what it means to be followers, to be imitators of Jesus, is to do so without grumbling or arguing. Like when your house leaks. So a year or so ago in a hailstorm, our metal roof got hammered. And uh, we decided to wait a little bit to collect the insurance and replace our roof. And we've been working on doing that for more than a year. And we decided to do that right before July 4th. And so on Monday and Tuesday, they took off the old roof 
And what was there were these 19, 28, 29, 30 slats. That was the decking, these wooden slats that had been significantly eroded or decayed. And they papered the roof. They put that blue paper on. And um, it happened to be papered when that 4th of July rainstorm hit and really didn't stop for about a week. And I, I was, I've all, every time I go by a house that's getting re-roofed and it has that blue paper on it, in my, in my heart I become like a Pharisee and say, I am so glad I'm not that guy. I hope it doesn't rain. <laughs> and in this month I became that guy. <laughs> because it rained and it rained hard. And that blue paper doesn't hold off hard rain. And so we got rain in the windows and rain in the walls. We have warped trim. We have bubbling in our paint. We have cracks in our sheetrock. And um, it just so happens to be when I'm preparing to preach on do everything without (laughs) grumbling or arguing. Everything. And um, I'm, I'm, I want to talk about maybe doing a message series on miracles this fall. Because <laughs> it seems like the Lord puts me through um, this gauntlet that whatever I'm going to be preaching on, the Lord loves me enough to allow me to walk through it and receive his grace before I share it with others. And... Uh, We'll talk about miracles soon because that'd be really fun. So how do we have the same attitude as Jesus? We have the same attitude as Jesus when we do everything without grumbling or arguing. When unclear, Jesus doesn't grumble or argue. He prays and asks. When afraid, Jesus doesn't grumble or argue. He trusts and believes. When treated unfairly, Jesus doesn't grumble or argue. He forgives and he serves. That's Jesus' attitude. And remember, attitude is everything. And Jesus has a good attitude. And the opposite of Jesus' attitude, then, is a bad attitude. And a bad attitude is comprised of grumbling and complaining, or as we like to say in my family, whining. And a bad attitude is no, is no good. It's like a flat tire. If you don't change it, you're not going to go anywhere. And so what Paul is doing is in love with a lot of grace He is encouraging the followers of Jesus in Philippi, encouraging us to take on Jesus' attitude. And in order to help us do that, he shares two bad attitudes to avoid. And the first is grumbling against God. The word for grumbling here means emotionally complaining. It's murmuring displeasure with God and his purposes. (laughs) Grumble and murmur automatopoeia, right? I mean, they sound like what they are. Props from an English major. Um... It's like, the, it's like the Israelites in the desert. 
you remember the story of the 40 years in the desert. It doesn't start well, continue well, or end well for them. Because they murmur and grumble. They express displeasure against God. They complained because they had nothing to eat. And when God provided manna, they complained because they didn't have meat. They complained when they were in Egypt. And when God brought them to the edge of the promised land, they complained that they'd rather go back. Forty years the Israelites whined against God. And none of that generation except for Joshua and Caleb were allowed to enter the promised land because Joshua and Caleb had a different kind of spirit. And in part, they did things without complaining or arguing. Here's the thing about complaining and arguing and whining. It doesn't do any good. Have you ever noticed that? It doesn't do any good. In fact, it makes things worse because complaining and arguing and whining erodes our joy. It erodes the joy of those around us. Why? Because it actually is an attitude that turns us away from faith and trust and dependency and our relationship of a good and loving, kind God who wants us to experience his promises and his presence and his provision. So God doesn't want us to complain. He wants us to imitate the attitude of Jesus. And so the opposite of grumbling and complaining, the attitude of Jesus is an attitude of gratitude. That's what Paul is getting at. I've been doing some random reading this summer. And uh, one of the things that I've been reading is uh, the Greek Orthodox Church Fathers. Anyone? No? I came across a really uh, great quote by St. Pisicios of Mount Athos. Google that. You'll find him. And he says this. Grumbling is caused by misery, and it can be put aside only by doxology or giving praise to God. Grumbling begets grumbling and doxology begets doxology. When someone doesn't grumble over a problem troubling them, but rather praises God, then the devil gets frustrated and goes off to someone else who grumbles in order to cause everything to go even worse for that person. You see, the more one grumbles, the more one falls into ruin. God doesn't want us to grumble. God wants us to pray and ask, to trust and believe, to forgive and to serve, to be like Jesus and live our lives surrendered for the praise and glory of the Father in heaven. Our lives are meant to be living sacrifices of praise, hymns, of worship. Our thoughts, our words, our relationships, our attitude are meant to be doxology. So what does that look like for you? I want to give you a spiritual mission should you choose to accept it. This week, ask your spouse or a parent or a really close friend hey, what are the things that you notice that I generally complain about? 
you might find you get some really good and interesting feedback, as I did when I asked my wife that earlier this week. Because I'm not going to ask you to do something and not do it. And then write down their observations of your attitude. And then take that as an opportunity to pray and ask God to search your heart. Write those down and then ask God to show you what is it that you could confess and receive forgiveness about? What changes could you ask the Holy Spirit to give you the desire and ability that you might be more like Jesus and live a life that praises God? Paul not only says that we have the same attitude of Jesus when we do everything without grumbling, he also says without arguing. Paul says, do not argue with God. Now, grumbling is expressing emotional displeasure. The word for arguing means intellectual rebellion against God. It's being opposed to God and his purposes and his ways and his timing. God says, hey, I want you to do this. But we're silent because in our heads we're saying, well, does God really mean that I have to do it just like that? Or that I have to do it now? Or maybe I can do it some other way later. Am I the only one that has these conversations in my mind? <laughs> That's what Paul says is arguing. It's, it's an intellectual rebellion against God. And the origin of this temptation is the distracting whisper of Satan in the garden. Did God really say? Is that, is that really God? Did he really say? Are you sure? And what happens is that we believe the lie that obedience leads to boredom. And so we argue and rebel against God, trying to convince him that our way is better than his way because we falsely think that rebellion leads to some kind of freedom. Like the garden is greener without God. The truth is, is that obedience leads to joy. Obedience leads to freedom. It's rebellion that leads to bondage. But we succumb to this temptation because we want to do things our way and in our time and in our purposes. And this is what Paul's getting at. This is what Paul means by arguing. And what he's sharing in love is that arguing, intellectually rebelling against God's not good for us and it doesn't help us. And it leads to spiritual strongholds in our lives. Elizabeth Elliot says this of spiritual strongholds. She says, spiritual strongholds begin with a thought. One thought becomes a consideration. A consideration develops into an attitude which leads to an action. An action repeated becomes a habit, and a habit establishes a power base for the enemy. That is a stronghold. The opposite of arguing with God 
is hearing and obeying God. It's putting his instructions into practice. Remember from last week, we don't do that because we're afraid of what will happen to us if we don't. We do it because we trust God and believe the good things that will happen to us when we do. So rather than argue, we hear and we put God's word into practice because we believe God has our best interest at heart and will always do what is good and right and helpful for us. As you think about arguing with the Lord, I want to encourage you to do this spiritual mission application exercise number two, should you so choose, and make a list of your secret arguments that get caught. Those secret arguments um, that run around in your mind that actually are pushing attempting to push God away. Why is it that you think you're afraid to obey God in that area? Is it that you don't know what he says? Is it that you know what he says, but you think you have a better way? Is it that you know what he says and you want to do it, but you, you need help and you, you need someone to talk to and pray with you so that the spirit would give you the desire and the ability to do what pleases him? What, what makes you afraid? What keeps you from, from doing what you hear God saying? And what would happen if you had the same attitude of Jesus and actually did what you heard him saying to do? I want to encourage you to make a commitment to do that this week. Remembering that God loves you and he has your best interest at heart and he speaks to you because he wants to help you, not hurt you. As Paul um, continues, he affirms the results of imitating Jesus by humbling ourselves in obedience to God, doing everything without arguing or complaining. And as we do that, the results are that we shine for Jesus. Doing everything without grumbling or arguing like Jesus leads us to be a positive witness for Jesus. Look at uh, verses 15, 16 again. Paul says, Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. When we have the same attitude of Jesus, we shine like stars for Jesus. Honestly, this is one of my favorite images in the New Testament. I love this metaphor, shining like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. This is an illustration for someone who had spent a lot of time moving about on a boat, in the desert, in the mountains. Remember, Paul was a traveler. He was a missionary. And he covered, he covered a lot of ground in his day. And in Paul's day, when you're going from one place to another, how do you navigate? There's no Siri or Google. It's not, it's not like you can just pull up a map always or even have a compass. How do you navigate from one place to the other in the first century? Stars. Stars. 
Now, we tend to understand that a little bit more in um, the northern hemisphere as the North Star. And if you've taken an astronomy class or you've done a little reading or you have a really cool app on your phone, you can um, find the North Star and therefore know where True North is. And if you know where True North is, it becomes a lot easier to find Southeast and West and get from where you're going to where you want to be. A couple weeks ago, um, I was in the Southern Hemisphere, and it was the first time I had been back to the Southern Hemisphere since 1990. And I got to see this constellation. Do you know what this constellation is? It's a Southern Cross. And the Southern Cross is to those in the Southern Hemisphere as the Big Dipper and the North Star is to those of us in the Northern Hemisphere. It's the Southern Cross. Do y'all see it, by the way? That is so cool to go out at night in the Southern Hemisphere and see a completely different sky than you're used to seeing. It brings a lot of joy and delight, and it continues, it never, it never fails. It continues to make me feel smallered by God, humbled in his presence, and it just, it causes me to praise him. Paul describes the prevailing attitude of unsaved, disconnected, non-Jesus followers as those who are crooked and twisted. He's not being mean. He's explaining to the Philippians their audience. He's explaining to them the importance of their discipleship and partnership with God in the mission of the gospel. The word crooked means unaligned with the purposes of God or warped in attitudes and activities. Just like the trim around several of the windows in my house has become crooked and warped. I love my trim. I want my trim there. But it's no longer serving the purposes for which I put it there to begin with. And so I want my trim to be fixed and redeemed. The word twisted means distorted in its values or opposing, even plotting against the purposes of God. And the truth is, is that this is how every one of us lives before Jesus interrupts us with his grace and truth. Before Jesus saves us and shows us his way, the better way, we're unaligned with God and opposed to his purposes. Paul describes this really clearly to the church in Ephesus and Ephesians 2. He says this, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. So God can point us in all future ages as examples 
of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. He goes on in verse 5, though we were spiritually dead, God made us spiritually alive. Though we lived in lockstep with the world, God rescued us and raised us up. Verse 6, though we sought the empty approval and unsatisfying possessions of the world, God has generously granted us all the immeasurable resources of heaven and riches in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. What God has done in our lives, in Christ, out of love, gives us a story to tell. We have a witness to share. As recipients of God's kindness and grace, we are examples of the hope others can have in Christ. I had a good conversation with my earthly father last night. He knows this is coming. He helped me remember this because it was a long time ago, particularly evident by the skinniness. Probably ought to bring that hat back. It's a pretty cool hat. When um, I was a senior in college, I received a call to go to seminary and to enter into ministry. And I thought that call was to be a missionary in the marketplace. And as I shared that with my dad, my dad was intrigued by the idea of calling. And so spring break senior year, I was pressed upon to spend a week with my dad and to talk to him about calling, to talk to him about faith, to encourage his relationship with the Lord Jesus. So as um, a history and English and government major, a double major, I took all of these readings um, in my government and politics classes, in American history classes, um, hymns by Harriet Beecher Stowe, the second inaugural address by Abraham Lincoln, and on and on. And I put a little campfire packet together for my dad and I to read about people of faith and how they express their faith and how they helped other people have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we spent a week around the campfire having those conversations, and it culminated on the last day where my dad asked me um, about doing a Bible study. And I opened up to Matthew chapter 25 to the parable of the great wedding banquet, and we walked through that parable, and my dad ended up saying, you know, no one's ever explained the gospel that clearly to me, and I've never even heard that parable before. Time went on. I went to seminary that fall, conversations continued. I came home after my first semester in seminary, and my dad didn't stay up late. But on this particular occasion, I was driving home, and I'll never forget that when I got home at about 1.30 in the morning, the kitchen light was on, and I think my dad went to sleep and wake, woke, woke back up to, to greet me, but he was there at 1.30 in the morning ready to have a bowl of bluebell ice cream with me. And we continued our conversation, and that led to, hey, do you want to read the scripture together over these three weeks while I'm home? And my dad said, sure, I'd love to do that. And I said, great, what time would you like to do that? And he said, five in the morning. 
I was not expecting that. <laughs> but we started meeting at five in the morning in his study uh, and started going through the gospel of Mark who Jesus is, what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple. And a week or so into that, I had the privilege of leading my dad in a prayer of faith. And my dad describes that as the moment he was born again and committed his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Simply because of the light of Christ in my life intrigued him about what calling is all about. We are all connected to people on a daily basis. Family, friends, coworkers, classmates, neighbors who need to be brought lovingly and safely into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus loves them and wants to interrupt them with his grace and truth and show them his way, the better way to help them navigate into the loving arms of God here and now and for eternity. And the greatest example is you. You are what it looks like to be brought safely into a relationship with God for whom your family, friends, and neighbors are created. It's our, it's our privilege to hold out for them the word of life and to allow the light of Christ to shine through us and guide them safely and surely to him. This is what Paul is talking about. Okay, confession time. My favorite Disney movie? Tangled. That's my favorite Disney movie. It's all right. It's all right, you can laugh at me. Or you can watch it. And just be blown away by how good of a movie it is. So good. It's so good. And one of the things that I love about this movie is one of the threads of the storyline, which is when Rapunzel was born, her mom and dad were so happy and celebrating her birth that they lit these lanterns in celebration of her birth. And you know the story of Rapunzel. If you don't, I'm going to spoil it. And I think everybody in here is old enough to wear. Anyway, just watch it. So Rapunzel gets lost and taken away from her family and their kingdom. But she has deep within her this memory of that light going up and the love and the joy of home. So much so that in her tower, she paints those lights on the wall. And every year she looks out her window and she sees faintly in the distance those candle lanterns rising up. And she wants so desperately to understand what the connection in her heart is to those lanterns out there. And it's those lanterns that lead her safely home where she was meant to be where she belongs, where she experiences true love and true joy. That is the gospel. That the Lord creates us in his image and likeness to be a part of his life, to share his life, to enjoy his life, and to demonstrate and declare his life to all those around us.
And we get separated and lost and in the dark and away from where God created and intends us to be in relationship with him. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world and whoever walks with me will never walk in darkness again. He says that he's the truth and the way and the life. And moreover, he says as his followers that we are the light of the world, a city on a hill, a castle and a kingdom that cannot be hidden. And in the same way, Jesus says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven with you. And so God creates all of us to be in relationship with him here and now and forever. And in his grace and in his kindness, he has shined the light of his love in your heart and in my heart. And Jesus lives within us. He is the hope of glory. He has brought us back to original glory, the purposes for which God created us, to love him and love one another and share that love with others. And when we do, we shine the light of Christ like stars in the heavens so that by what we say, what we read, what we watch, how we think, how we relate to each other, how we love one another. Others will see Christ in us. They'll smell him. They'll desire him. They'll be attracted to him. Don't be confused. They're not attracted to you. They're attracted to Christ in you. And, And that's it. We're luminaries for Christ. We're lanterns for Christ. And Christ in us holds out the truth and the way and the life with him. And so by imitating Jesus, we reflect the light of the world and others see the spirit at work in our lives. They see Christ in us and they too ask and come and want to be a part of that kingdom with all of its love and acceptance and belonging the way God intended it to be. Now, I don't know if that sermon was amazing or not, but to the cards. You should have one of these cards in the seat pocket in front of you or in the seat around you. This is just a helpful tool to help us not just hear about being the light of the world, and being illuminaries for Christ, but actually to pray because nothing of kingdom significance happens in the absence of prayer. And this is a way to begin to ask God in my family, in my neighborhood, in my class, in my workplace, among my friends, Lord, who needs to be safely and lovingly brought into the relationship with you that you created them to enjoy. Lord, would you put their names on my heart? And then just pray their names every week, every day. And watch what the Spirit of God does in their lives. And when he starts doing that, and they start asking you about your story, tell them your Jesus story. Light up with Christ and be useful and partner with the Spirit 
and helping the Lord Jesus bring them home too. I'd like to close with, I don't know if it's my first or my second or my third favorite prayer. It's in the top three from the Book of Common Prayer. But it is another prayer for mission. And I'd like us to just ask for a second for the Lord to put on our hearts a name. You don't have to say it out loud. And you don't even have to share it with anybody this week. But just ask the Lord to put a name on your heart or a couple names of people you know that are in your sphere of influence that would give God so much joy and you so much joy to help them navigate into a relationship with Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves to put names on our hearts that Jesus has died to save. He loves to use us in their lives. And he promises to give us not only the desire, but the ability to do that. Let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen.